0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back for another episode of EGOs. My name is Rochelle Kernan, and today I am here interviewing Robin Swank. She is currently a master's student at the Colorado School of Mines, the Natural Resources and Energy Policy Program. So I'm really excited to talk to her today because she's going to be sort of the first person that we've had on this uh, podcast talking about energy policy. So thank you so much, Robin, for being here. How are you doing today? I'm doing very
1: well, Rochelle. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. How are, How is the weather in Colorado today, in Denver? I assume you're near Denver, at least.
1: <laughs> I live on the west side of Denver in Lakewood. Oh, okay, um, yeah. And it is pretty blustery, chilly, with a few flurries today. Yeah. But this is our first really big cold snap, so... Yeah. It takes some getting used to.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, wanting to meet with me today. I'm really excited to talk to you. So to start off, um, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? So where are you from? Where did you grow up? And what influenced you most while you were growing up?
1: Uh, I can do that. I was born in a town in southeastern Ohio called Chillicothe and uh, grew up in another smaller town even further to the south and east called Jackson. It is um, on the edge of Appalachian Basin coal country, Mm so energy has been present throughout my life. uh, I remember coming home from high school and feeling the ground roll as the strip mine over across the way, set off the charges and, and you'd hear the horn and you'd know that they were getting ready to do it. And then the, the windows would shake in the house and it was, uh, it was just kind of always there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was a, uh, a good math and science student in high school. So of course I wanted to go to engineering school and um, that maybe didn't pan out as well as I thought it would because I, Honestly, had no idea what an engineer did other than it sounded hard, so why wouldn't I do it? Um, thank heaven, through a suggestion of my mother, who was a school teacher, I ended up taking a geology course and fell in love with it. And um, at the time, at the University of Cincinnati, there were a bunch of faculty that were fleeing uh, the downturn in the oil field, and they taught us their love of industry. Mm -hmm. So they had us on the floor coloring seismic lines and learning how to try to find the high to drill for the trap. And oh, it was just such fun. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah. yeah,
0: that's really cool. Oh, so how did that end up influencing you for your your career path?
1: Well, when I graduated with my bachelor's degree, Mm -hmm. there wasn't a whole lot to do in geology. That was 1993. We were still pretty uh, suppressed as far as pricing. So uh, the path forward was graduate school. Mm -hmm. And I had done a family vacation out west in Colorado with my parents when I was younger. Uh, Loved Colorado, wanted to come back, but also... There was a connection with the faculty at Colorado State University. Mm-hmm. So I got a letter of recommendation to come out here and work with her. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a good move for me. But uh, I think uh, going straight through school was not working really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I did get out of Colorado State University was I met a recruiter from Amico and um, through my engaging personality, ended up <laughs> ended up with an internship in Houston. Mm-hmm. And um, while I didn't love Houston, I loved oil and gas. So I, I really learned to love the business while I was down there. And with Amoco on my resume, I got a uh, a job as a geotechnician with a small company in Denver in 1995 called Amplex. Okay. And uh, it kind of set me on the course for an oil and gas career. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, that sounds really great. Cool. So then how long were you in um, in the oil and gas career from, like, 95 up until, like, relatively recently? Or could you um, tell us a little bit more about your story or your background um, from then until now?
1: Yes. Um, I have been more or less continuously employed in the oil and gas industry up until about a year ago. Mm-hmm. I made the decision to make a change. Um, I've had some periods of unemployment of up to nine months. Uh, 2009 was a rough year for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, I was very fortunate to get an opportunity to volunteer at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science which was wonderful. Mm -hmm. Uh, I worked on mapping water aquifers in the Denver basin because uh, the scientists there had access to log data but they weren't really great about how they were interpreting it. So I was able to help them correlate some of their markers through and, and work in the software that they had. And, uh, my last company job, uh, was with Whiting Petroleum sure. here in Denver. Okay. Uh, I don't know if it's fortunate or not, but I was in their first ever company wide layoff in 2016, <laughs> 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 which was the fifth layoff for me. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, At a really rough time in the industry, so the friend that I had at the Denver Museum actually was working at the USGS by then, Mm -hmm. so I went and volunteered and field mapped with her for a while Mm -hmm. and uh, somehow, I guess this, I don't hear about this happening a lot, someone found me on LinkedIn and Mm -hmm. asked me to do some geologic consulting work. So I formed an LLC and I did (laughs) geologic consulting work for about two years and that kind of dried up, and then I got a call to do some work on operations, but uh, that was only for about six months for one drilling program, Mm -hmm. and um, after that, it became obvious that work was a lot harder to find, and uh, I, though I really loved it, I felt like it was time to really look at what was happening, where I was in my life, and if I ever wanted to make a change, now was time. Uh, I guess uh, I'll out myself between you and me and the wall. I turned 50 last year, so (laughs) maybe I can be... having a midlife crisis and going back to graduate school
0: (laughs) no I think it's so good I well you don't look that way I know the viewers can't see you but when I first I you no you don't look 50 so (laughs) cool so when did you (laughs) when did you um go start going or when did you start this master's program back up
1: let see. I started a uh, fall semester of 2020.
0: Okay. Oh, so you've only been in it just this, this last semester. Okay.
1: Yeah. This is my second semester in the program. Okay. And yeah.
0: Do you, could you tell us more about uh, your experience so far?
1: Uh, so far it has been very different, but super interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess like most geologists, even if we have a liberal arts background, we don't get a chance to take too many of the humanities classes. Mm. We take what we need to to graduate, but you're always focused on, you know, I can take carbonate sedimentology yeah. or I could take sociology. So, you know, who doesn't love a, a, a reef? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody loves a coral reef. Yeah. Uh, or they're sick if they don't. Uh-huh. Uh, but I now I take classes like uh, there was energy policy class last semester mm-hmm. in which we were encouraged to focus on aspects of what was going on in the policy that's driving energy transition. I was also in an environmental law class, oh, which wow. taught me a lot about uh, how to read law, what was driving law, and how to determine where things were coming from. And then I took a, a mine water removal class. Mm-hmm. So we get uh, some electives along the way. So I'm steering toward mining with my electives just mm-hmm. because it keeps In the subsurface, but yeah,
0: Yeah.
1: a lot of what I'm learning is extremely portable to go into a lot of different lines of energy Mm -hmm. or regulatory environment or things like that. Um, This semester, there's political risk assessment, okay, which that can go any which direction. Yeah, Uh, due to my background, I'm focused on a case study. In oil and gas or something associated with it. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, I initially went into this program so I could scope for how policy was driving what new energy choices were going to come up and yes. what was going to be adopted, so I could back myself into what was going to be up and coming in energy. Yeah, that was how I got turned onto this one. Mm-hmm. Plus, I have uh, other than regulatory, I have no knowledge of policy or mm-hmm. had no knowledge of policy. It's a, it's a lot more. Uh, I don't even know the word my knowledge is a lot more complete now
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that's Mm -hmm. like it's probably is it more technical than you would have maybe thought or is it just very like um like there's just so much probably that you have to learn about it like maybe we look at it as like hardcore scientists and be like oh yeah that but it's probably really important to um like our society I would think
1: It is. Uh, It is. uh, I'm learning the vocabulary of a different language. Okay. Yeah. Is how I look at it. Mm -hmm. It's. There are some approaches which are radically different. It's much more descriptive, qualitative. Uh, I can't remember how many times I've been told. It's more about how people feel and their experience and what they're going through rather than what they think. And I'm constantly reminded that it's not so much about, don't ask people what they think. Uh This is how they're reacting. This is how they feel. And this is their perception. And as a hard scientist, there's not a whole lot that we can do about, okay, if you feel a certain way about geology, well... (laughs) It, it is. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't change because of how you feel. Yeah. Policy actually does okay. have to get into how people feel and how they react.
0: Okay. Yep. Well, that's yeah. really fascinating. Thank you for sharing that with us. I think that that piece of knowledge is really helpful for anyone who's, you know, well, what is all this talk about policy and hopefully that helps mm-hmm. some of our listeners figure out like exactly if this is something that maybe they would be interested in in the future. So okay. thank you so much yeah. for sharing. Yeah. Do you have anything else to share about, about your program or what you're working on right now?
1: Well, another aspect, I guess, to share, and let me reinforce that this is in the sciences. This mm-hmm. is in political science Okay. and that- doesn't necessarily mean that it's softer or less rigorous and they they go to links to be quantitative mm-hmm. about what is being measured and what is being gauged it's just it's very different from the perspective that I had as an undergrad sure in the harder sciences mm-hmm. but it is put to the test it's peer-reviewed there are discussions there are yeah all sorts of um, evolving techniques for how you assess what may happen and outcomes
0: so yeah cool that sounds great Mm -hmm. so I know that you're doing a little bit of soul searching right now do you have any idea of what you're you want to do upon uh graduation I suppose you still have like a year and a half left is is it like a two-year program or um how long is is. okay so it's just a standard um
1: ideally yeah Ideally, I will graduate in May of 2022, mm-hmm. and I anticipate that I'll be able to make that deadline. I am currently interning with a small public policy group here in town. They're called uh, energyshouldbe.org. Okay. And the company's philosophy is to drive the adoption of 100% renewable energy here in Colorado and then beyond.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm getting some exposure into what policy work looks like and trying to figure out how I fit into that. I've just talked to my supervisor on the project, and, and his name is Ken Regelson. He's a wonderful guy who does a lot in this arena. And he is encouraging me to follow an interest that I have, which is in aspects of a just energy transition. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that As we as a society get ready to move forward into the adoption of full renewable energy, there are certain people that have worked in fossil fuel communities dominantly, say Mm -hmm. coal, oil and natural gas, that are going to be put out of business. Mm -hmm. And there are some serious implications for some communities that are completely reliant on single Mm -hmm. industries in particular. Coal communities like Gillette, Wyoming, like Craig, Colorado. What do we owe them as a society as we go forward? How do we help them keep up, move forward, and adopt clean energy without feeling like their whole fabric is just going to be destroyed because what they've done is going to be a lot different than what they may be about to do?
0: Yeah, that's amazing because I feel like maybe that could be a big thing that is actually probably holding up the transit the energy transition for maybe happening a little bit quicker is people are scared people don't understand what this means and i it's absolutely amazing that you know you're working on something that will help people understand like there is life after um you know you sort of leave these traditional fuel sources behind and it'll be okay and they won't be forgotten and left to starve basically
1: Oh, that's correct and uh, I've actually had some very pointed discussions in my research for a, a big project that I did at the end of term last semester I- including um, I talked to the assistant for Casey Becker here in Colorado about the Colorado Office of Just Transition and how it's structured and what they're trying to do and how it might be done. Uh, unfortunately with COVID there are problems with funding yeah. So it's not getting off the ground maybe as quickly as they would like, but they're already having meetings in um, Craig, for instance. Mm-hmm. So there's some really interesting things going on right now. And it is, it is terrifying mm-hmm. just because people thrive on stability. What am I going to do? How am I going to make money? How do I pay my bills? How mm-hmm. do I electricity mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so, so there, there are a bunch of different considerations yeah
0: oh that's <laughs> so wonderful yeah thank you yeah. so much for sharing that it's it's very inspiring and I'm so happy to hear that you know anyone who maybe is hesitant about it from sort of that security standpoint um like financial security or just lifestyle security standpoint that there are people out there working on addressing some of these issues.
1: There, there certainly are a lot of them to be addressed. Mm -hmm. As you you just mentioned, a few of them right there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great. (laughs) Cool. So um, normally I always ask everyone pretty much the same thing to start wrapping up podcasts. And, um, do you feel like you've already lived your dream job or are you still creating your dream? I always feel like I'm always creating my dream that I, I'm, and living it. It's like all encompassing. Do you feel that way right now? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I honestly, I struggle with that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really do because what I did for 25 years, I, I loved, I, geology is a very easy career to love it is investigation and i always told people that i had the perfect applied science job Mm -hmm. because we integrate a bunch of data and we're going to create a hypothesis and you're going to drill a well and it's going to get tested and you're going to have a result Mm -hmm. Uh, my brother works for the epa Mm -hmm. and he's a biochemist he conducts a lot of experiments and he does a lot of things, but he never gets the direct result. They oftentimes don't ever know the answer. Whereas I, and I imagine you've seen this in your own work. Mm-hmm. There's gonna be an answer. Yeah. You know, it may not be completely clear, but usually there's some sort of answer. Mm-hmm. I am constantly looking for what's going to be next mm-hmm. and trying to figure out how it looks, where I go from here.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for, um, being candid about that and open and honest. It's really, it's really amazing. Um, do you feel like, or like when you're living your life, is there anything that you do on a day-to-day basis, um, like for hobby wise or just things that you enjoy doing outside of geology and science that make you happy or make you feel like you have a fulfilled life?
1: I do. I took up a yoga and meditation practice mm-hmm. on a fairly large scale about, uh, I guess it was a little over two years ago. Yeah. Uh, I keep up with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the meditating is helping a lot, just mm-hmm. being able to, because there are moments of blind panic where, you know, it's like, what am I doing? Oh, no.
0: <laughs> yes. So, Absolutely.
1: Yeah, you have to still the blind panic, and I I do so enjoy hiking, which I don't get to do nearly as much now that I'm in graduate school again. Mm-hmm. But I get out for my uh my walk and hike and um, things like that. So yeah. that that keeps me sane. Hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm the it same really way.
0: Makes- I do yoga and I hike and all that too. I just yes. I just love it. <laughs> yeah, it it really keeps me like something's bothering me you know, whatever. It may be uh, career related school you know, whatever. And I go hiking or I do yoga and I just, I feel like a million times better. I feel like I can always attack the next uh, problem, question, issue, whatever with like a clean slate kind of, it's like really, really helpful.
1: When I get my best ideas when I'm walking or when yeah. I'm exercising. So that helps a lot. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's really, it's true when you're relaxed like you're not thinking about it is when you get like, oh my gosh, all these like I feel like all these connections start being made in your brain when you're relaxed and not trying.
1: Oh yes, they sure do. Yeah, yeah.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much, Robin. Um, I really appreciate your the time that you spent with me and just giving people a little um idea of a window into something new for energy geoscientists because I know that the petroleum community is hit really, really hard um, with this, all this COVID situation. So I hope that um, some people are inspired by your story. I know I certainly am. So thank you so much. And I would love to check back in with you and see how you're doing with your program and in your internship, maybe in six months or something like that. If you have any updates or cool things to share with us, we'd love to hear more.
1: No, that, that would be great. And uh, let me also say, I know there are a lot of other people doing a lot of different things right now. Mm-hmm. So we're not alone. Yeah. Um, I know who are, yeah. a lot of people are turning to coding. Yep. I know a lot of people learning Python and Tableau and getting ready to do things like that. So mm-hmm. everybody has their thoughts on what else they would do. And a lot of people are exploring a lot of different things, which is really pretty cool right now. It is.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree with that. I feel like, in a way, because we we don't have like the face to face social connection, that <laughs> nobody really knows what's going on. Like you do, but you don't. So everyone, it's like this big experimental phase. That's what it feels like, and it's just it's like I know it's all gonna be okay, but some days I'm just like. You know, you can't even watch the TV or listen to the radio or do anything because you're just like, I just want to talk to people, you know. (laughs) I I
1: do. I I actually have uh, one of my classes is on campus in person. Oh, good. first, First time sitting down in a class with other people live people right in front of me yeah six feet away but you know They're there. <laughs> it, was, it was like a sociogasm I think yeah you're
0: just like oh my gosh yeah. this whole new world yeah. <laughs> cool yeah. well thank you so much Robin I hope you take thank care you. and definitely keep in touch oh thank you so much have a wonderful day you too bye-bye, bye-bye.